Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Welcome to DocuTalks. This is the start of season two. Very exciting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chelsea. All right. So we're going to start this season with talking a little bit about what we're listening to, watching and reading. Mm -hmm. We both talked about The Shrink Next Door, which is another podcast. Have you been listening to that, Chelsea? I just finished it yesterday, actually, Michelle. What did you think? It was pretty good. I got to, you know, episode five and I was like, this is okay. But I was so disappointed by the way it ended. I really was shocked that it was such a short um, episodic podcast because I felt like there was so much more they could have covered or that they didn't really go into as much detail as I would have liked. I thought it was a good podcast. Very interesting. It's about a patient who's basically abused by his psychiatrist just crazy how he gets so sucked in by this guy to the point he disowns himself from his family that's what's really sad is the impact on everybody else around him Mm -hmm. and then coming to terms with it uh, I really understood where you know his nieces and nephews were coming from when they said that they struggled with the fact that all of a sudden 30 years later you know he's back in the family's life and I couldn't imagine easily being able to accept someone back into my life after having such a traumatic childhood experience. Yes. And even the sister, I was surprised how easy it was for her to say, okay, I'll take you back. Yeah. And I don't have any siblings. So, you know, only child never understand this. (laughs) So I don't know if it was just me thinking you know because I just don't understand that familial sibling relationship that yeah I I would have a really hard time forgiving somebody yeah Mm -hmm. all right so our first show of season two is abducted in plain sight so listeners if you haven't watched it yet I would recommend you watch it before listening to the podcast since we're not going to really do a recap of it Um, We're just mostly going to be talking about our thoughts and feelings around it. Although if you're like me, you probably might just listen anyway and then decide if you're going to watch the show because I do that all the time with podcasts. This was one that was actually requested by one of our listeners, so we put it on first. So just a warning, we definitely have adult content, we use explicit language, and we'll be talking about childhood sexual abuse, which definitely could be a trigger for some people. All right. I want to just start by just summarizing the families. So we have the Broberg family. The parents are Bob and Marianne, and they have three kids, Jan, Karen, and Susan, and they live in Idaho. And then the Birch Told family, the parents are Robert and Gail, and they have five children. Don't really hear too much about their children in ages other than they all got along with Jan's and her siblings. And then also Robert's brother, Joe, is in the documentary. Now, this may take a little bit of time, but I think I want to just review the timeline. Because if you listen to our Tiger Kings, I'm all about this timeline stuff. So I just want to review it. And I know it's going to take a little bit of time. But I think it's important because it kind of jumps around in the documentary. So 
1972, Marianne meets Robert, who ends up going by B with the family. So meets B at church. And then in the same year, Robert and Marianne attend a church retreat in Utah and end up making out, for lack of a better word. And then June 1973, Jan, their daughter, goes on a family vacation with B to Seattle and he has to take her back to his room because she's acting strange. So that's definitely one of the first incidents of some abuse. And then January 1974, he's actually reprimanded by the high council of the church because involvement with another young girl. And he's sent to therapy. And that's when the therapist tells him he needs to lie with Jan and listen to these tapes. And then October 1974 is the first kidnapping. And that's where Jan learns about her mission. October 20th, 1974, B and Jan got married in Mexico and B's brother Joe starts calling Marianne asking for permission for B to marry Jan back in America. And then November 23rd, 1974, B's arrested and they find Jan in the motorhome in Mexico. April 1975, Marianne starts an affair with B. March 1976, the affair between Marion and B finishes, and they were together about 11 times. June 1976, B accepts a plea deal for the first kidnapping, gets five years, but it's somehow reduced to 45 days. And 1976, Jan goes to Jackson Hole for two weeks to stay with B. August 10th, 1976 is the second kidnapping. And during that time, in September 1st, B spends 10 days in jail for that charge. In November 1976, FBI starts surveillance because they're convinced B knows where Jan is. And November 11th, 1976, they find Jan in a Catholic school in California and B's charged again with that kidnapping. And January 24th, 1977, Jan's father's business is on fire. In June 1977, B's trial found him incompetent and he was sent to a mental health facility. That was for the second kidnapping. And then he gets out. I don't know exactly when, but I'm assuming around December because he only spends six months in the facility. Then June 1978, Jan turns 16 and realizes this is all not real, this mission. 28 years later, they publish a book and B starts showing up at the events. Jan gets a restraining order for him for life. March 6, 2004, B comes to an event and there's an assault and he's charged and found guilty. Then, then he took an overdose and, and died. So he committed suicide November 11, 2005. And I just added in there that Jan's father died in November 2018. Mm-hmm. It was funny because when I was watching the documentary, all I could think of was like, oh, Michelle's not going to like this. This is Tiger King all over again. This timeline's a hot mess. I know how much you like your your linear events. Well, because you start thinking about it, right? And and especially with all the stuff that happens between B and the parents, you kind of think, really, you start having an affair with him after you already kidnapped your daughter once? I'm just going to put this out right here. I mean, I've read some tweets and things online where people are very critical of Jan's parents. I don't want to be overly critical of them. I honestly am very appreciative of them coming forward with their story 
because sharing this type of story will hopefully prevent abuse in the future. Because so many people think abuse comes from a stranger you meet off the street. But a lot of times it's not. It's people who are close to you, who are familiar with your family. So I feel like we have to have appreciation for them being willing to put their story out there. Especially because it makes them look so bad. Because I'm sorry, I feel kind of the exact opposite as Michelle, I'm guys. I'm sure you do. It's very polarizing sometimes for us. And we're going to discuss the relationship between B and Marianne. She starts off, you know, taking lunches to B. Their families are really close at this point because, you know, it's the 70s and that's what you do when you live in a neighborhood. Apparently, you befriend the neighbors and you do shit together. I don't know. We don't do that anymore. The families are really close. And so for her, I guess it's not that big of a deal to be like, oh, yeah, I'll bring you a lunch over at work. She was obviously very attracted to him. Like, he must have been quite charismatic or else how would he have pulled this all off? But, you know, I just want to comment on the lunch thing before you carry on that, you know, really, why didn't he call his own wife to bring his lunch? It was a ruse, Michelle. It was always a ruse. Like, he's just... Um, but that's yes, what I, I'd be thinking. If my husband's friend or anybody called me to say, bring me my lunch, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't even make my own lunch half the time. Why am I bringing you a lunch? You call your own <laughs> wife. I think Marianne had an attraction to him right from day one yeah, because she's obvious, the one right? that met him in church, right? Yes. It's always mentioned how charismatic he was. He was so charming. He was a great salesman. I think right from the get-go, just like you, Marianne was infatuated with this man. So they go away on that trip to Utah. Got really close, but they didn't have sex. Um, I think she was definitely in love with him in a way and interested in the idea of having an affair. Why would Marianne get involved with a man after she knew he abducted her child? They knew that... They were having an inappropriate relationship and that B had inappropriate interests in their daughter. I think you're making an assumption there, though, that they knew something was off. They knew that he liked Jan in particular, but I don't know if they necessarily knew something was off. I think these two just were so naive. This thought didn't even cross their mind. And when Jan came back from the abduction, they took her to the doctor and the doctor said she was still a virgin and Jan wasn't disclosing anything. So I could see how they're just being naive and dumb to think that nothing happened. But I just cannot understand why Marianne would start an affair with him after that second abduction. Exactly. Especially because Gail, B's wife, came over and made them basically agree to not testify because they were going to disclose their secrets. But to be fair, Bob does mention that he he does allude to the fact that it didn't seem right the way he was always giving her more affection. By the time of the second abduction, it was common knowledge that B wanted to get married to Jan. And so for me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fuck the man who wants to marry my my child. I know this is what I don't get after that first abduction. You know, even the FBI agents, he said to them when they come back, don't have anything to do with being his family, but they didn't listen to him. You know, I get that they're naive and innocent, but after the first abduction, that's just plain recklessness. You can only use the naive card for so long. 
And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but they got their one use. Yeah, <sighs> that's what was so shocking to me. I can get being naive with all the rest of it, but that affair after the first abduction was just crazy. For me, I just, I couldn't imagine getting involved with a man who was just showering so much weird attention on my child and then abducted them, even if nothing sexual happened. Why did you take my child for a couple months? That's the other thing. He did take her without their permission and kept her for quite a long time. In Mexico and married her. I couldn't believe that you could get married at 12 in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. The 70s were wild. Yeah. (laughs) How could they not think anything sexual happened, even if the doctor said nothing happened? He married her. Yeah. And then Bob drops his bomb. Oh. Oh, boy. Michelle, were were you shocked about this? How did you feel when Bob made his confession? I was shocked. I felt bad for him because he was obviously very embarrassed about this. But it's shocking, too, because this is a religious family. It's bad enough for the wife to have an affair in a heterosexual relationship, but then the husband to basically break his marital vows in a homosexual relationship seems even more shocking to me. And he felt so guilty after. I don't know. Because honestly, like, if Bob was really straight, would he have been seduced like that? I was really wondering about whether or not maybe Bob was secretly gay. I don't know. I don't really think so. I think it's just something with B and his charisma and convincing people. I do. And I'm very curious how much further ahead B thought in his plan to get Jan that this was something he got Bob to do so he could use it against him in the future. No, that's exactly it. B basically admitted that he right away knew he needed to enter into sexual relationships with the parents, both of them, if possible, in order to have dirt on both of them and be able to use it either as a way to get closer to Jan or as a way to blackmail them at some point. He didn't say that. He said he knew he had to get close with the parents to have access to Jan. He didn't say he got close to the parents so he could use it against them in the future. He just said he did. Well, he did. But I'm just wondering, was that his plan in the beginning to be able to use it against them in the future? I think so. Or it just conveniently came up that he was able to use that against them. I think he did it for that reason, especially because they were part of the Latter-day Saints. They don't believe in sex before marriage. They don't believe in homosexuality. They're quite, what's the word I'm looking for, Michelle? Well, they're strict with their rules, right? Yes, they're strict, strict with the rules, rules. And most people, I think, in that religion tend to be kind of all in. Yes. Right? Very conservative. That's the word yeah. I'm looking for. I just wasn't sure if B had this all figured out. 12 steps down the road he could use this against them because at first I thought okay this is just be getting in with the parents as a way to get in with the family I didn't think he'd come up to use it against them in the future but this was not the first girl that he had gotten involved with luckily for those girls the parents got wise pretty quick whereas Mm -hmm. Broberg weren't so smart (laughs) unfortunately So I did read that the documentary is the first time that the homosexual relationship between B and Bob was revealed. Yeah. 
Um, Mary Ann didn't include any of the details of their affairs or mention that those took place in her memoir, uh, Stolen Innocence, because they staunchly believed that those things had nothing to do with Jan or Jan's abduction or anything to do with what was going on with B and Jan. And I just thought that was shocking. Well, that's how naive they were. That's not naivete. That's it just is like... Naive. You know, you got to remember, even the FBI agent said he didn't know what a pedophile was at this time. This was his first case that involved somebody like this. So you got to remember the times, you know, you've got the 70s, you've got a religious family. You know, I grew up in the 70s. This was not such a big thing back then. So I don't think they would realize how much of a predator he was and how much he would do to get himself in with this family just to be able to have access to Jan. I kept thinking of it then. I was like, oh my gosh, like, is it, is it a 70s thing? Is it like a them thing? It's a tricky, it's a tricky one. But so, you have to remember, even nowadays, you have single moms that, you know, meet these guys and these guys are going out with these single moms just to have access to their kids. But those moms would never, ever believe that. Like, that's the worst kind of case with child abuse is a mom with a second marriage if there's child abuse she'll side with the partner before the child happens yeah, that's you, the common scenario you see it all the time now yes yes and that's tragic it is tragic okay so the abduction this abduction was just that shit crazy oh. I have to say and I feel gross saying this but I couldn't help but respect how meticulous and well thought out this plan was. B knew if he was going to do this, he had to do this right. And it had layers. It was like an onion. That was intense because it was just like he basically had gotten her in the perfect situation where he could brainwash her. He could have some type of long term hold over her because of it and created that perfect environment. A kidnapping and an abduction has to be so well planned out for it to be successful. It's not the right language to use, but for lack of better words, it was intense. It was. It was amazing, all the different layers, like you said. And he really had thought this out and managed to do quite well with it, really. He was very successful with his plan and getting his hold over Jan and then brainwashing the family into dropping Mm -hmm. the charges when he got home. Well, not technically dropping the charges. What I don't understand was, what did he tell his wife when he came back home? He was still married to Gail. You know, I really think Gail was complicit in all of this because Gail helps him a lot. Yeah. We haven't mentioned this yet, but the brother knew. He mentions his brother always liked little girls. I think Gail knew that too. Well... You know, you see what you want to see, right? So was she also just blind to it? Or was she abused that she felt she had no choice and she had to stay with him and just put up with this? I don't know. I tried to search about her on the internet. I couldn't find anything really about her. Me either. And I did read an article that basically just said the Birchfield family didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I just think like she was advocating for him in so many different ways. And like, I'm sorry, but your fucking husband went, ran off to Mexico, abducted this girl, got married. Am I the only one who keeps thinking about this? Like they got married when he's already married. Yeah. 
And then she's over there at Groberg's being like, well, you know, you need to drop these charges. Yeah, that's what's so surprising. So for me, I'm like, she either had to be, like you said, abused. But at the same time, if she was abused, I don't really feel like she would have that strength to go over there and try and convince other people that this is how it is. Well, I don't know how much she would have to convince them. I think she would just come over and say, if you don't agree not to testify, we're going to disclose your secret. I don't think there was much convincing needed. I think that's all you had to say. And I can't help but wonder if, like, Birchtold was abusing his own children sexually as well, and she might have known about it. Yeah. I find it very hard to believe he wasn't abusing his own children. Me either, and that's never mentioned. So anyway, this abduction, it is just flawless. He was always drugging Jan. That's one thing that we really need to remind ourselves is it's easier to brainwash someone if they're being controlled by substances and they're being isolated. She was young, right? She was 12 years old. I also read that prior to the abduction, he would talk to Jan and the other kids about UFO stories. Oh, I did And hear that. yeah, I read that. So she already kind of had this UFO stuff in her head, right? Yeah, so I sense. think it wouldn't be that hard at that age. You know, she wakes up strapped to the bed and hears this alien voice from the box. Really? And then you've I got know. this man that you trust because he's a family friend and you have a good relationship with him, at least up till this point. You trust him and he tells you, you know, the aliens talk to him also and this is the mission. So remember our true crime story, the girl in the box. Nobody's seen that. Like YouTube, the girl in the box, true crime story. Now, it doesn't say it in there, but I read the book and the book actually talked about how it's not that hard to brainwash somebody, really. No, I had the heebie-jeebies just like even talking about the girl in the box. That is the she worst true crime so story. It oh is. my gosh. Do, oh, I would say we would do a podcast on it, but I might cry. Oh, that's, it's still to this day, like the worst one. I'm going to have nightmares tonight just because we talked about it. Right? I know, me too. Oh my gosh, I like, shouldn't have mentioned I've it. I completely lost my train of thought because we mentioned the girl in the box. <laughs> but no, so, um, oh, yes, the Bible stories you know, has grown up with these stereotypical Bible stories. So all he did was change the Bible stories to match the aliens. I think it just kind of hit that extra layer for her. And yeah. And also about the idea of using a mission in Later Day Saints go on missions, right? So that's the other part of it that I think struck a chord with her. Yeah, so basically, so this is the first objection. And then she comes back and she actually like seems fine. You know, she adjusts well, considering trauma can be portrayed in so many different ways in children, like the effects of the trauma. And it can be shown in ways that you would never think because it's so subtle. Jan's parents, you know, they just weren't they weren't paying attention to like they didn't want to see those signs. They were kind of burying their heads in the sand, it seemed like. And it's hard because like her mom said, well, she was still going to school and seemed to be doing well, but she wasn't talking with her father. She wasn't kind of connecting with him anymore because she wasn't supposed to. But I don't know how you would have ever been able to get it out of her because she really believed in this mission and the fact that she couldn't tell anybody because B bribed the guard so that he could talk to her before they went back. I couldn't believe that like they finally get captured in Mexico. And then, yeah. like, uh, you know, it just 
it just backs up the whole Mexico. Anything can happen in Mexico. And then he bribes them. And he was, he's just so smart. Like if he hadn't gotten that extra little chat with her, I think maybe she would have told. And you know, I wonder that too. I'm so curious about that. If he didn't get that extra little time with her to say he heard from the aliens and you can't tell them these four things, maybe she would have said something. Yeah, I really do wonder if that would change it. You know, like, B was this charismatic older man, and he was lavishing all this attention on her. And, like, as a young girl, it would be hard not to have some feelings like, oh, he's so cute, and, like, he likes me so much, and now you have the mission. So it's, I know when I was a kid, like, I always had crushes on older guys. I'd always be like, oh, my God, he's so cute. And I'm, like, in, you know, grade five. But that's just great. <laughs> it's that yeah. pre-teenage where you're just starting yes. to kind of get feelings about the opposite sex or whoever you're attracted to. And <laughs> when you get that attention, it it's easy to kind of develop these little crushes on people. Exactly. So I see that, right. Well, I and I'm definitely... sure Tan felt that because, you know, obviously B spent a lot of time with her and gave her a lot of attention and then seemed to have a really good relationship. So I can definitely see how that would compound. And he was always so kind to her and things like that. So, and, you know, he was taking care of her and protecting her from the aliens. Yep. I can see how, you know, she doesn't sour on him too quickly. And which leads to this second abduction because, you know, she's getting older now. She only has until she's 16 and she has to do this and it just becomes an obsession. She had this mission. I just thought that was so weird. Why would he want to impregnate Jan? For me, is it just an excuse to have sex with her? But I why then so. say, oh, you have to have a baby by the time you're 16? Like, And she was only 12, I think, at the time. So that gave him a very big window of opportunity. Yeah. Four years. So basically, he has a second abduction. Um, and at this point, things are not going well with the family. Jan's really on edge. It really seems like with the second abduction, the parents are a lot more aware of the inappropriate relationship with Jan and B. In between the first and second abduction, isn't that when the therapy was happening too? Oh, let's go back. Let's look at the timeline. Before the first abduction, January 1974, that's when he had to lie with her with the tapes and then she was abducted in October. Okay. So it was before... That's why but you the, do timelines. You make you know, fun of my timeline. There you go. This is when the affair with B and the mom was happening. The mom knew B wanted to marry Jan. Marianne even said part of her knew that B was just trying to use her to get close to Jan. You know. Did she say so, that? I don't remember her saying that. I think she, maybe when she was reflecting back, she realized yeah, that. Maybe. I think when she was reflecting back, I think, yeah, she looks back on it now and realizes that was probably part of it. But I don't think she thought that at the time. For me, honestly, I have a hard time even calling this an abduction because Jan was such a willing participant. and She kind of like ran away and then B helped her with it is more the way I guess I see it in my mind. I get what you're saying, but you have to remember she wasn't at an age really to consent to something like that true I don't believe at 15 that's something she really intellectually can consent to so and of course if you had a 15 year old Chelsea would have been like oh, of course like uh-huh. I know what I'm doing I'm an 
adult. <laughs> of course you would have said that at 15. But I guess I have to admit that I probably would have too. Exactly. So that's the thing is when we were teenagers, we thought we knew everything. And now that's I'm finally right. old enough to admit that that was not the case. I know. I always say I never thought I knew as much as I did when I was 14. Now I don't think I know that much. <laughs> but no, when I was 14, not. I thought I knew it all. Um, so basically, the second abduction happens, and he takes her to an all-girls school. Like, of all the ones, I was like, okay, this is great. Like, he put her up in this all-girls school. Yes, he was keeping her isolated, but at least she was still in school and not in Mexico. So <laughs> part of me was yeah, like, Yeah, but he came okay. up with such an elaborate... Oh, my God, yes. such an elaborate uh, plan with the school being in another state, but not too far from where he was, and that they had to put her under this false name. You wouldn't be able to register a child in school that easily now. No, it's insane. Well, and also just this whole, I'm in the CIA, these people are after us, and I'm just like, who would believe that? Well, it was still innocent then, right? You know, you just got out of the hippie area where it's all free love and everybody was great and wonderful really before a lot of this stranger danger and you know which is what they needed it most yeah but again this wasn't a stranger right you know you have to remember you know we do all this education around like don't get in a car with somebody you don't know they don't say don't get in the car with your you know parents best friend we do now I will have to say that is now part of the education especially with sexual education we also teach about sexual abuse what consent is and what abuse is and things like that. Ontario (laughs) got rid of that whole like sex education (sighs) curriculum because heaven forbid if we taught people that kind of stuff. Well, I know. Imagine if we taught about consent and that sex is more than just a mechanical thing. This is why I refuse to teach in Ontario. Just saying it's disgusting. Even though I don't have kids, I looked at that curriculum because I thought, okay, everybody's freaking out about this sex education plan. What is it? And I looked it up and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so good. Sex education is kind of the wrong word. Like they're teaching you, like you said, about consent, about body awareness, about relationships. It's a lot more than just, you know, this is the physical act of sex. And people may say, oh, that should be taught at home at the end of the day. A lot of it isn't. No, it's not. not. These kids have to be safe and they have to be in healthy relationships and that was a lot of what they were teaching mm-hmm. yeah. and it's really unfortunate but so oh my god michelle the phone call well she has been abducted the dad bob's just like so do you still want to marry b and i'm just like oh i had to pause i don't know You're- why they have bought into this with her at all like I think when she came home after the first abduction, it would have been, that's it. You're never seeing that guy again. That was not appropriate. Not like supporting this whole idea of marrying B. You know, and then they even sent her to Jackson Hole that one summer for a couple weeks to be with B. Mom put her on a plane. Yeah, and that was while she was having the affair with him. I get that Jan was probably very difficult and very demanding about this because she wanted to complete her mission. But at the end of the day, you're still the parent. You shouldn't have bought into this. Serving your daughter to an abuser on a silver platter. Or like, Michelle, if you were having an intimate relationship with a man and all of a sudden he wanted to hang out with your daughter, would you send her to him? No. And you knew something fishy was going on? I I just don't know. I have trouble even discussing 
that phone call because what kind of mindset they're in. And also like you haven't heard from your child in ages, but I'm going to ask her if she still wants to marry the pedophile. And I don't know if he asked that thinking, is this what the issue is and why you're not coming home? Mm, I guess for me, it was very difficult for me to believe the idea that B had no idea where, where Jan was. Oh, and of course. And that he yeah. wasn't somehow helping her. But if Jan had to run away because she wanted to marry B, then why would she run away from B as well instead of running to him? You know, she didn't even tell them until she'd been missing. She didn't tell, they didn't alert anyone until she'd been missing for like weeks. They knew other people were going to judge them and be upset that they allowed well, this to happen again. Well, and they were embarrassed. Again. Yeah, and I'm just like, well, I'm sorry, but you should have been. You should have yeah. been embarrassed. That's disgusting that you let that happen again. And I'm so glad that you felt shame about it because, frankly, I can't believe that, you know, you you basically allowed your daughter to just be used and abused and you didn't do anything about it and you could have stopped it. I just, and then you were, you were embarrassed you about how, and you were worried how they would think about you. So you decided that you were going to call the police. Michelle, what do you think about that? <laughs> Chelsea <laughs> has no forgiveness for these people whatsoever. <laughs> and I guess, why do you have children if you're going to put them in these positions? I work with kids. I see terrible things. I've seen lots of terrible things. And I'll pretty well tell you every terrible thing. It's people being naive about living with mm -hmm. an abuser. You know, it's just like people in domestic violence situations. And even though my partner beats the shit out of me, oh, he never does anything to the kids. So, I mean, I see people all the time being naive about stuff. I guess that's why I'm more forgiving. And I... Mm -hmm. believe these parents absolutely love these kids and were doing most likely the best that they could but just were very naive and trusting and not believing what actually happened just not wanting to really see it true and you know like you see that all the time so many people have and little things in your life that are happening and you don't want to admit it to yourself or you don't want to see the truth yeah I hope when I'm your age Michelle I'll be more forgiving one of the sisters, Karen, she seemed to have a really good understanding of what was going on. And she basically says that her parents are simply experts at denial. That's why she says that they didn't probe when they knew something had happened and they didn't want to know. Like it was just too painful for them to realize that what they allowed to happen to her. So they just let it happen. I think not probing enough is probably a very good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Probably just not even having it enter into their mind that there could be more to this than what they thought. Yeah. And think about how many times, like, you don't want to have those difficult conversations with people. How many relationships continue to go on because you don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation? Oh, you know, yes. like, you talk about this all the time. Yes. Pet peeve of mine. People have oh. conversations. Nothing good will come from not doing something uncomfortable if you want to change, if you want things to happen, if you're unhappy, it's going to take discomfort. Especially if you're unhappy. Her saying that for me, like, kind of really made me feel a little bit compassion towards the parents, but at the same time, I still want to smack them. <laughs> well, I'm glad there was at least a little bit in there, Chelsea. But I think she really hits the nail on the head. 
we talked a little bit about their faith and the impact of that, but I really do think the fact that they met B at church gave them this false sense of security with them, that they thought he had the same values, the same beliefs, he's part of the church, had a big impact on his ability to infiltrate this family and for them to not think anything's going on. Yes, and I have to say those Mormons, they are a tight-knit group. I can see how they probably were just like, oh, he's Mormon. He's good. I know. They have a real sense of community, which is great. But then it makes it easier for somebody like him to do what he did. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder, you know, he got reprimanded by the church. And that's when he went to that counseling that gave him those tapes to lie with Jan, which wasn't an actual real counselor. What if the church would have taken a stronger stance with that? But when has the church ever, Michelle? Yeah, but you know what? I must say at least they did something. You know, you've got the Catholic church where these priests have sex with young boys and they just move them to another church and nothing's ever done. I know. Right? So I actually felt good. Like, this is the 70s and at least the church was taking some sort of stance. But at the same time, you know, at least within the church, been like, okay, people of our church, our congregation, this man, he's doing some nasty shit. Like, be wary of him. But if this is something that's done in, well, I don't know how it works in that church, but almost like a confessional that they're not going to break his confidentiality, so to speak. They're not going to exactly stand up at church on Sunday and say, Chelsea's been, you know, having sex with young boys in the neighborhood. So watch out for her. I think it was because it had been brought to their attention, not necessarily by him, but potentially by other people in the church that and the families that he was having inappropriate relationships with girls. I don't know. It'd be interesting to look into it. But they still addressed it. So I think that's good that they didn't just ignore it. Yeah, it's oh boy. So after we watched the documentary, uh, obviously, Michelle and I both, you know, tried to find out some more details to see if there is anything we could add. There was an article published this year by Vanity Fair. I will include this article in our social media. I read it, too. Yeah, it was really quite informative because they interview the, the producer of the documentary, and I thought she did a great job. We have to remember that true crime television franchises really didn't exist then. And now with their introduction, like they've kind of turned Americans and you know people around the world into armchair experts on such CD topics as pedophilia and abduction, Stockholm syndrome and grooming. Borgman explained that the Broberg family's faith as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also gave them an extraordinary capacity for forgiveness. It's like what you were saying. They have that forgiveness. So it's easy to take for granted our current level of exposure, knowledge, and understanding. They were still developing a lot of those terms, and there was fledgling research to pave the way for, like, (laughs) a lack of a better term, just crime fighting and the ability to counter these things. You know, Mind Hunters was taking place around a certain time, so they were still profiling serial killers. They didn't really understand that serial killers existed. So I think we do take it for granted and I found it extremely difficult to remain objective and to understand where the parents were coming from. Well I was trying to find out a little bit more information about B. Mm -hmm. He did talk about that he had some abuse as a child was what he 
I don't know. I kind of wonder, but Joe kind of seems to confirm it. Well, he doesn't confirm that B was abused. He confirmed that B abused their sister. He never discusses whether or not he was abused. So we know there's six women that contacted Jan to say that they were sexually abused by B. He was convicted and found guilty of raping one of those girls and did spend a year in jail. One of the situations, he befriended a girl's mother who was a psychiatric nurse at a prominent hospital. And he was in her apartment with her for 119 days. And the victim said that her mother couldn't see through him. Like, she just couldn't see it. I Uh, wish the listeners could see my face right now. No. I'm shook. And then he did divorce Gail. And then he married a second grade teacher who had two daughters. But the two daughters ran away to the biological father's house because he was sexually abusing them as well. Wow. Yeah. I didn't so this hear guy anything was, about that. Oh, this wow. guy was such an abuser. It's it's crazy how much he got away with. And barely, but he spent a year and 10 days in jail plus six less than six months in a psychiatric institute That's because he's found know. mentally incompetent, right? And like I said, I tried to find something about Gail. I couldn't find anything. Um, I know I did say I had trouble believing whether or not he was abused. However, when I was doing my research, I did find an article that basically said no pedophile becomes a pedophile without having some type of trauma, especially sexual trauma as a child yeah. themselves. So yeah, I, I, I do recant. I need to be more understanding and it's not for me to, um, discredit someone else's potential abuse because I don't necessarily believe it. And that's, Unfair oh, look at you me growing. Sad. I know. Very good of you. I'm growing so much in this episode already. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to chat a little bit about Jan and her family. Mm-hmm. Adult Jan, I had a really hard time with her. Really? So, yeah, I did. After her trauma, Jan went on to get married and have a son, and she got divorced. So Jan's relationship with Birchchild, understandably, had lasting effects on her adult life. And it had a huge, huge impact on her relationship with men, uh, the filmmaker had said. So this is a direct quote from an article I read. And so the filmmaker remembers talking talking to her at one point, and she said that she still looks at her relationships, and she's never felt as in love with any of the men that she's been in a relationship with um, as the kind of love she felt with Birchtold. So it speaks huge volumes to how impressionable children are. And just the fact that Jan has probably never really processed or healed from all that trauma. And I think for me, like, I think that's why I kind of had difficulty with her is because as much as you could tell, like, she's had a traumatic experience, it's kind of like, I don't know, I just had trouble understanding if, like, she's she's healed from it it seems that she really likes attention and she went on to become an actress which just for me kind of feels like she's trying to fill a void of that needing that adoration that attention so 
But she was into acting when she was younger, right? Because she was in Oliver, and remember, B told her to sing that song from Oliver and think of him. Oh my God. And then she went to that camp in the summer, the oh, drama true. camp or whatever. So she always had an interest in that, and she was an outgoing girl, very vivacious, they described her as. So I'm not surprised this was kind of the field she went into. But I guess I'd first say, do you ever truly 100% heal from something like this? I think you learn to live with it and learn to cope mm-hmm. with it. But, you know, the word heal may be kind of strong. Yes. I think the thing is the fact that this happened when she was that preteen, mm-hmm. when you first start having feelings about men. And like we said, maybe she might have even had a slight crush on B to begin with. And then this mission happens, not that she enjoyed it, because when she talked about what happened in the motorhome and and them having sex, basically, for the first time where she was conscious and, you know, just focusing on the vent in the motorhome mm-hmm. and looking at the leaves on the trees like that's absolutely trauma right there. But I think that doesn't discount the feelings she had. And when you think about your first love and how strong that is and how all encompassing mm-hmm. it is, like, it's, it does anything really ever compare to that first love? Because you have no filter then. Your heart's totally open. You're totally like 100% in love with this person. So when you're comparing it to that, I can kind of see what she's saying. And and she said in the documentary, she was 100% totally in love with him at that point. I, I have to play devil's advocate, Michelle. Oh, boy. Do you think she's still in love with him in a way? I think there is probably some part of her that does have some... I don't know if love's the word for it, but yeah, probably mixed emotions because there was that love and caring. So you had a man that showed you love, that you loved, that you enjoyed being with, that gave you lots of attention. And then that relationship turned bad, you know, it turned mm-hmm. into an abusive relationship, but you still had those feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Very mixed um, feelings, I'm sure, for her. B's whole thing was all about Jan and it was all about being with Jan and all in consuming too, right? I know. Yeah. It's crazy. I just, you know, obviously I've never been with someone who's that all consumed with me. So I'm just having trouble understanding. Like I just, and I have never been in a position where I've been so like maybe a little consumed, but not that consumed. Um, Okay, and craziness, Marianne and Bob stayed married until Bob's death. Michelle, would you stay married to your husband slash wife, given the fact that you this that situation? I can't believe their marriage survived that. You know, I did wonder that a little bit, too, because they didn't interview them together. So I wondered... Are they still together? I, I imagine they interviewed them separately so they could speak of maybe a little bit more freely. Okay, in terms of the infidelity, really, Marianne was a lot more guilty than Bob. Exactly. Bob had one single incident. I think. I don't think it was one single incident. I think it actually went on for a while. No, Bob only did that one thing. Was only no, that one. It, and then they said they entered into a homosexual affair. We, no, no, he said. It. No, I think you're wrong. I think it was just that one. It was just that one incident. 
Because I don't think B was homosexual. And so considering it was just a hand job, I think that was B's way of sucking Bob in and having something over him without mm-hmm. really fully engaging in any type of homosexual full-on sex, right? So True. I don't think it was more than that one time and Bob felt really guilty about it afterwards. But Marianne had an ongoing affair. It was a lot more serious of an infidelity. It was. But I think Bob probably understood that this was B manipulating Marianne and Mm -hmm. to some extent was able to forgive her because of that. If it was an affair with maybe somebody else, probably it would have been much harder to do. Yeah, I guess I just, yep. I'm going to leave that there. So our latest update, I found out that this documentary is being made into a drama series by the NBC Universal. And so it's going to be done by writer Nick Antosca, which I love him. Jan and her mom, they're both working as producers and helping to work on the script because they had taken issue with some of the aspects of the Netflix documentary. Um, Jen wanted it to be changed because she was upset with the way um, with the tapes and the sleeping. Like she thought it was portrayed like he slept with her. She wanted to clarify that he didn't sleep inside my bed. He laid on top, which I thought they actually did a good a fairly good job of never making it seem like they were sleeping together in the bed. And then mm-hmm. just like, just like a mom or dad or anyone else when I'm nine, 10, 11 reading a story, tickling facts, and then you fall asleep. I think it just goes to show for her how brainwashed she was. And like, she was really justifying his behavior and like defending, defending him on that. It's just, I don't think she was defending B. I think she was probably defending her parents. Because I'm sure everybody's saying, how would you let this guy listen to these tapes and lie with your daughter in the bed? Very true. Anyways, so that, this is as of 2020, like February 2020. So that's in works to be done. I'm very interested to see. Um, Jan did say it's going to more talk about what it was like for her to be brain, like, so it's going to be dramatized and it's going to just have the story of her being brainwashed and not necessarily focus on the objections, but just what she was going through at that time. So hmm. interesting. interesting. I know. So what did you think overall? That I needed to take a shower after watching that documentary so many times. Yeah. It's very insane. It's very difficult to believe. It's very sensational in ways. It's amazing to me how many people, especially knowing B had other victims and some of the things we read about him and shared, how much he was able to get away with and infiltrate this family as well as other families and how he was able to abuse these young girls pretty well all his life I know and how it was just so well known that he was a pedophile like and his brother just seems so blase about the whole thing he's like oh yeah Robert was a pedophile that's just his shtick man oh well I was like what (laughs) I know and and you know I don't want to criticize his brother thank goodness he came on and shared his part of the story exactly but you know what 
I've met some families where, you know, grandpa's a pedophile. So, you know, we all know this and we all make sure that nobody's left alone with grandpa, right? And some families really are open about that and they take that seriously, but they, you know, want their their kids to have like somewhat of a relationship with their grandfather, but, they don't, you know, they don't ever leave them alone with them. But they haven't done, they didn't do that in this situation. It wasn't like Joe probably went to Gail and said, by the way, your husband or the guy you're marrying is into young girls. Now, this is also him reflecting on it. So I don't Mm -hmm. know how much he might have thought at the time that maybe it was just Jan or maybe it wasn't all as many victims as he realized. I don't think so. I think he completely knew there was tons of other victims. But to be fair, at this point, like, B's dead. So it's easier yeah. to be blasé and to and to just say the facts. You don't have to worry about what you're saying a lot of times when you're talking about someone who's dead because what's going to happen? You don't have to deal with the fallout. Yeah. So I do understand that. But no, and it's just this documentary, like, there's always something more, you know, like, there's so many kettles of worms that you could, like, we are having a hard time wrapping this up right now because there's so much we I can know. keep talking about. We're not doing good with our final thoughts here. We're going off on tangents. No, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the rabbit hole, listeners. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it was a good watch. I think it's a good one for parents to watch and realize that mm-hmm. a predator can be anybody. It's not just a stranger it can be anybody that you know, and you have to be really careful with your kids and make sure you're having conversations with them and making sure you're checking on things and telling them it's okay to tell if, even if somebody is claiming they'll do something to the family. Yes. And I think it's a great intro to true crime, like such a good way to dip your toes in if you're not sure you like true crime. Gosh, how can you not like it? But yeah, I, don't like you it. You have never it's, met my partner, okay? He hates true crime. He gets so upset that I'm always watching true crime shit. I didn't know that. I know. I'm going to leave him after this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's not listening to the podcast. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely not. Crime, that's it. I'm only sticking with him for so long. <laughs> it's not a keeper. <laughs> told I told him after the quarantine that's it pack in the bag. Oh, <laughs> poor guy. Because <laughs> there's so many different types of true crime, so you have exactly. to see which speaks to him more, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next episode is going to be the Rachel Divide, which I'm oh. pretty excited to talk about. That is another crazy one. So this is the lady who identified herself as a black woman and was very much an advocate for the black community. But she was actually born to white Caucasian parents. And when that came out, it all kind of blew up. So it's very interesting to see her perspective on things, which I think most people kind of know it. But um, it was an interesting um, documentary. So we're going to cover that one next week. Yeah. So make sure you guys have watched it so you'll know what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So please leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends if you like us. That's very helpful because we're still pretty new. And let us know your thoughts on this show and what you thought about some of the things we talked about. You can find us on Instagram at docu underscore talk, 
on Twitter at docu underscore talk. And our email is docu.talk2 at gmail.com. So we look forward to hearing from you. And I'll post all this in the show notes. Yeah, and keep the... Uh, keep the recommendations coming because hopefully we will keep watching documentaries. Yeah, absolutely. Keep sending those in because it's good to hear what you guys want to talk about. We have a couple that we're planning on doing this season from listener suggestions. So we can always adjust as we go along if something comes up. Yes. All right. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Michelle. All right. Bye. Guys. bye.